0: If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to James chapter four today. Today we're going to be in James chapter four, uh, as you probably guessed. If you just grabbed the notes, you're like, "I already know where we're going to be." Uh, but we're we're walking through the issue of prayer, like a b- biblical prayer. We're we're asking the Lord to teach us, just like we saw in, in Luke eleven. We're asking the Lord to to teach us to pray, and so really the way that we go to the Lord and say, "Lord, teach us to pray," is the Lord says, "I have." It's in the Bible, uh, and so we go to the Bible and we see where the Lord taught us about prayer. Everything that we would need to know about prayer, not something that we need to get, you know, sort of separately or distinctly, that, that it's all found in the word of God. And again, remember this should, this should bring us, should bring us great joy. I mean, we're, we're in many ways, even in a, even in a more favored position than the disciples when they asked in Luke 11, Lord, teach us to pray. And so we've been, we've been walking through just, you know, how does, how does the Bible define prayer? Because, you know, it's, it's funny. There's, there's these verses on prayer. There's all this talk about prayer, but I mean, there are so many books just on the word prayer uh, and there, I mean, there's a lot. You'd figure they'd all just say the same thing and they don't. Uh, And so we're trying to be, you know, go back to what does the scripture say? So we saw that just in general, just a biblical definition of, of what is prayer, that prayer is asking God to do something. We saw the great blessing uh, of prayer. That's one of the greatest blessings that God can give to his creatures is the ability to talk to their creator and have him respond in action to what they ask. Um, we saw the hindrances to prayer, prayer ADD, uh, that the Bible specifically mentions, you know, three things that uh, will don't, don't hinder uh, our prayers as we give them, but that hinder us from praying at all three things that will keep us from taking advantage of this great gift. And they were, you know, abundance, doubt, disobedience, that the Bible specifically mentions those three things as things that will stop you from even praying to begin with. Uh, And now we're looking at how not to pray. So now that we've gotten into the mechanics of actual prayer, how do I do it? Uh, we We always want to begin with how do I do it and Jesus is like, "Wait wait wait, let me begin by telling you how not to do it uh, because when when he was first teaching about prayer that 's where he began and so we walked through uh, Matthew six where he talks about don 't pray with your mind uh, on others so so don 't pray because you 're thinking about others we added to that also don't not pray because you're thinking about others, because your mind uh, is on others. We see, uh, don't pray long prayers. That was the next thing he said in Matthew 6. Don't, don't pray long prayers or use lots of words in order to impress God. Uh, and Jesus also taught, don't make long prayers in order to impress others. So we've looked at those things. And last week we went to James and we saw the, the danger of doubting prayer. That when you pray, pray without doubt uh, and I know, as you know, without a doubt that 's a hard one uh, and so as as i 've had conversations with you guys uh, this week there there 's been a a real desire. To pray without doubt. And even as we're praying without, trying to pray without doubt, we're doubting. Am I really praying without doubt? I doubt it. Uh, So it's been a great struggle to hear from you guys. Sort of that, I believe, help my unbelief moment uh, in the congregation. Well, now we're going to add more of how not to pray. Look, we get all these done. By the time we get to how actually to pray, we're going to have this thing knocked out. You're going to already be doing uh, all of these things. So in James chapter four, just a little bit later in James, so he did James chapter. Chapter 1 last week, James chapter 4, we get another way where the Bible warns us about a way not to pray. So let's stand in the honor of reading the Word of our God. We're, we're looking at how to ask God. Uh, it is good for us to see His answers and to treat them uh, with the respect that, that we hope is happening even more so in our hearts than just in our bodies here. and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and, and Father, I pray that leading up to these moments we have already been humbling ourselves i can't imagine the 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 grievous sin that it would be to come into worship to worship you having spent all morning ex- exalting ourselves and so father i pray that whether it was through the song or through our prayers or even through these verses that you have humbled us this morning so that we're here for you and not for ourselves that we're here for your sake, for the sake of your body, and and not just for ours. So God, in that humility, I pray that you would teach us through your word, that you'd teach us how not to pray, how not to ask, and that in doing that, you would grow our faith, that you would grow uh, in us this, this great blessing that is praying to our God. So we thank you, Father, for teaching us about the very thing that we're trying to do right now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So so here we get sort of a another glimpse in in the problem not the not the problem of not praying. That's not what the Bible is is warning us about, but the but the problem of praying wrongly. James says here uh that we ask wrongly. So, so we've already seen there's a, there's a right way and there's a, a wrong way to pray. There's a right way and a wrong way to ask God. And now we can add to that how not to pray list that seems to be ever growing. We can add this, uh, praying for the wrong reasons. Okay, this problem is we are praying. So when you pray, don't pray thinking about others. That's why you pray. That's why you you don't pray. Don't pray, uh, you know, long prayers because you're trying to impress God. Also, don't pray long prayers because you're trying to impress others. Don't pray with doubt filling your mind even as you make these requests of God, doubting who He is, doubting what He's done, His faithfulness, all those things. And now we can add, don't pray for the wrong reasons. And we see this at the end of verse 2 and into verse 3. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So James is laying out here and James says, like, we got, we've got fights, we've got, we've got quarrels, we've but those come, he says, at the start of James 4, because we want things and don't have them. That's the source of our quarreling. We we covet things and we can't obtain them. But the reason we don't have those things that lead to, you know, it's funny, you, you see, we see Fights and quarrels, and go. Oh man, that seems so bad. And he's like, "That's why you're murdering one another." And we're like, "Well, maybe our fight's not so bad. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe things haven't gotten to that point yet." Uh, so you've got fights, you've got quarrels. Where do you? You don't have these things because you haven't asked for them. And when you do ask, even when you do ask, you ask wrongly. And how is it that we ask wrongly? He says, we ask to spend it on our passions. In other words, here again, the problem isn't that the people just aren't praying. A lot of times they're not. A lot of times is they're not asking. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you ask wrongly that you might spend it on your passion. So so the, the problem is a lot of times we're not praying, but even when we do pray we're praying for the wrong reasons. And so here again, uh, we see this in, this in this letter of James, just how important godly prayer is. I mean, James, if you remember, started his letter by saying, remember what we saw in last week in James chapter 1, that, that any good that we want, like especially praying for wisdom, if we ask, God gives generously gives generously those things to us. So we see the blessing of godly prayer. If you ask rightly, without any doubt, God gives generously to you, to all. And he does it without reproach, remember. And now we see the other side. That any sinfulness that we're struggling with, so so any good thing that you don't have, you ask rightly and the Lord will give it to you. Here you see any sinfulness that we're struggling with, particularly fighting, could be done away with with proper prayer. The reason you're fighting, ultimately James is saying, is because you're praying wrong. That's the reason you have fights and quarrels. The reason you're struggling, like the reason these churches are dealing with this, is, is that they're they're not praying right. Which implies praying. If we're praying right, right prayer helps in the fight with the battles within and the battles without. So again, we see the importance of godly prayer, and that's why we're going to make sure today that we are not doing what he warns us about doing, that we're not praying for the wrong reasons. And so James says, look, we we all recognize this. We know Christians are people, right? We are not fully uh, holified, fully sanctified. And so there are times where Christians fight. Remember, James is not writing this to a particular church, but to the church worldwide, and so he's not talking about a specific church that's dealing with a certain fighting. He's like, hey, this is what's going on. This is churches worldwide. What causes fights and quarrels is, is you, you fight, you get mad at each other when, when you have people who are driven by their passions and not by godliness. So instead of Godward living... We're being driven by selfward living to the point that he says, we don't even ask God for things. So we don't even ask God. We just try and take them from one another or we hate that someone else has it and we don't. So we just hate them for that. They have it. We don't even ask God or if we do ask God, we ask it not for his glory, but for ours. We want to spend it on ourselves. And so let's see what the problem here is with this asking for the wrong reasons. What are the wrong reasons? The first thing we're going to see is pleasure-driven prayers, pleasure-driven prayers. And we see this in verse 3. He says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, So they're asking wrongly because they want to spend it on their passion. Now, what does it mean they want to spend it on their passions? Now, this isn't the normal Greek word for passion. Uh, This is a different word. This is the Greek word hedone, which is where we get the word hedonism. You ever heard that someone's a hedonist? I asked someone that this week and they said, no. And I said, well, then that totally ruins the example uh so uh you you need to join the right facebook groups where you're calling everybody hedonist or whatever uh it comes so that, that word hedonism someone's a hedonist that that word for translated passions here it comes from a word that means something that is sweet it eventually came to mean something that was sweet to the taste sweet or tasty something that pleases the senses which is where we end up getting the word that something is sensual, something that is driven by the senses. So to pray hedonistic prayers, to pray for your hedonae, to pray for hedonism is, is to pray with your senses in mind, to pray for things that look tasty to you. That's why I think this word can be more clearly translated by the word uh, pleasures or desires i think that's more clearly uh, what uh the the verse is trying to get across in fact that's how this word is translated every other time in the esv so apparently the people who translated the esv also thought that's a good way to translate this uh because every other time take for example luke chapter 8 verse 14 it says and as for what fell among the thorns right this parable of the soils they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures, he Danae, of life, and their fruit does not mature. So he says, you, you, you ask, but your goal, your goal in asking is not holy. You're not wanting these things because they'll make you holy. You're not wanting these things because you're trying to live Godward. You're wanting these things in a pursuit of pleasure. And again, this is different. This is not talking about I'm praying for things that will make me happy or give me joy. You should pray for things that bring you joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy will never be bad. Asking to have joy is never going to be a bad thing. This is why when people say don't ask for patience, I go, you need to ask for biblical wisdom because you should not be giving people that advice. Uh, You should ask for patience. You should ask for joy. Those are fruits of the Spirit. Those will always be good things. This is not that. This is the pursuit of carnality, pursuit of the flesh. This is prayer con carne, right? That's what this is. This is pursuing things with the flesh in mind, being driven by the senses rather than being driven by the spirit, not for what I need, but what I want. Again, Paul mentions this tied with pleasure and envy, like, you know, like James did. James ties this pleasure that leads to envy that's going to lead to fighting. Paul actually did the same thing in talking to Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, he's going to talk about this problem of when we want things, when we want these pleasurable things and the hate and the fighting tied to it. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, that's not the word, and pleasures, that is the word. Passing our days, so when we're driven by these things, when we're slaves to our passions, our epithumia, and our pleasures, our our hedonism, the tasty things of this world, I want more tastiness, what happens? We pass our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. When we don't have, the one thing we all have is hate. So, when pleasure is the goal, love is never going to be the outcome. Pleasure always breeds hate. So, if pleasure is your motivation, holiness is never going to be your destination. So, if you're being driven by pleasure, and that's the reason you're praying for these things, don't think that these prayers are going to somehow lead to holiness. If pleasure is what is driving you, pleasure is where you're going to end up getting and so that's what's what's wrong in these is that it is is the motivation of these prayers is so world driven, so pleasure driven. That's why we're asking the reason. So you don't ask, and even if you do, you're just asking for tasty things, for things of this world. Okay. So what sort of prayers are we talking about here? Because the idea is, is James warning us about purely sensual things? Because otherwise, you're like that'd be. You know, is it, is this someone praying, you know, uh, uh, God, I would like to give you to give me a better mistress or something like that. Something purely carnal, purely sin. We go, uh, you're just obviously praying these hedonistic prayers. Is this saying, God, please, please, please help me to get what my flesh desires. Is it something so basic as that? Is that all he's warning about? Because surely you're looking at the church and that James is writing to and you're going, surely they're not praying like that. Surely there's not someone who's like struggling with something going, I want you to give me this sinful thing that I want. So what is it? I I think Matthew Henry gives us a good example, as Matthew Henry often does. He says, when men follow their worldly business, suppose them tradesmen or husbandmen, and ask of God prosperity, but do not receive what they ask for, It is because they ask with wrong aims and intentions. Okay, that's just what James has said. But what's he talking about? He says, they ask God to give them success in their callings or undertakings, not that they may glorify their father and do good with what they have, but that they may consume it upon their lust, that they may be enabled. So what sort of lust is he talking about? That they may be enabled to simply eat better meat, Drink better drink, wear better clothes, and so gratify their pride, vanity, and voluptuousness. If we thus seek the things of this world, it is in fact just in God to deny them. So the idea is, is it it wrong? So take for example, you're praying and you go, is it wrong for me to ask Success in my business. Is it wrong for me to ask God to give me success in my job or success in my business? The answer to that is maybe. Because the, 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 the asking isn't the problem. The reason the problem is, why are you asking? Are you asking so that God would be, that you would succeed in business so that God would be glorified in his faithfulness to his children so that people would see you doing well in business and see you talking about God all the time and giving glory to God all the time so that God's name is lifted up? Is there anything wrong with that prayer? Well, you're basically just describing the reasons that God blessed Israel all throughout the Old Testament. Nothing wrong with that. If you're like, God, I want you to prosper me so that I can prosper your name, so that I can glorify your name. God, I want you to, if you're asking, God to be generous to you so that you might give and be generous to others that you want to get so that you might give well obviously there's nothing wrong in that prayer that's a good godly prayer that's not being driven by your pleasures or instead do you want your business to prosper because you've got a retirement dream you'd like to achieve You've got this RV you've always wanted to have, and you can't wait to escape it, escaping that thing, which will probably oddly be gone from your church every Sunday. Right? Probably not a a prayer that one you should ask for and one you better hope the Lord doesn't give you, right? Uh, So you can end your life counting shells somewhere. Do you want to prosper so that you won't be embarrassed by the house you live in? Or by the car you drive? Is that the reason you're... It would be be good to ask God to be generous so you can be generous, but the reason is not for God's glory, but for your vain tastes or pride or because I'm tired of cloth seats. Man, I'd like leather. Just one time, Lord, give me leather. You know, if that's the reason, you could surely, you know, that is not the type of prayer that we should lift up. Now, it's the same prayer, right? God, prosper me, but God knows why you're asking for the prosperity and what you plan on using it for even if you don't tell him right even if you say god be generous to me god i want i want you to grow me so that i can glorify you and he knows in the back of your head what you're really wanting and what you really plan on doing with that stuff god i want this or that he knows if the reason you want those things is to spl- spend it on your Pleasures. The problem isn't the prayer, but the lust that drives them. I'll tell you this, Christian, lust can spoil a good prayer. And that is the heart of these prayers that James is warning about. They aren't driven by a desire for Godwardness. They are driven by a desire to glorify God. They're driven by pleasures, by by things that we wish we had and the pleasures that we hate that others have and and we want, the covetousness, the envy, all of those pleasures that are driving us in what we desire, driving us to hate everyone else, to not talk to God. And even if we do talk to God, it's about those things instead of his things. That's the problem, pleasure-driven Prayers, And you can, see, you can see the ridicule that James gives to these pleasure-driven prayers. These, these types of prayers, when we are praying for the wrong reasons, we are choosing the world over God. That's the problem. We are choosing the world over God. We're saying that the world and its things are more important to us than losing the whole world and gaining him. So he says in verse 4, "'You adulterous people.'" So here you can see already that that these type of prayers are actually a spiritual adultery. You are leaving him and pursuing these pleasures. And that's an adulterous type actually. He says, "'You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God.'" Praying for the wrong reasons is an adultery. It is a love of the world. You're asking God to give you the things of this world. You're asking God to befriend you with the fleshly things of the world. You're asking God, God, help me be a friend with the world. You might as well ask, God says, for you to make him uh, your enemy. This is why we need, to, we need to thank God that he does not answer these prayers. These prayers that would seek to draw us away from him. The worst thing that God could do would be to answer your pleasure-driven prayers. As the, as the famed theologian Garth Brooks said, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. I think that was the only t- If you've ever watched the biography on him, that's the only time he was ever right in his life. But even that, even that is not entirely true because it's not, it's not, God is actually answering our prayers, but in an infinitely wiser way. Because we're praying these things. The reason we're praying for these pleasures is we think these pleasures will give us the best life. And that's wrong. We're just wrong. We think they're going to be the best. We ask, we ask for these things Not because we think they're going to ruin our life. The reason we ask for, the reason we ask to be friends with the world, the reason we ask for these pleasure-driven prayers isn't because we go, God, I really want this because I'm fairly certain it's going to ruin my life. That's not why we do it. We ask because we think these things will give us a good life. We ask because we think, God, this is what my life really needs. And sometimes God's most faithful answer comes in his firmest opposition. Even believers' prayers are often best answered when their desires are most opposed. If we're praying prayers that would in the end show us choosing the world over God, then God is saying, look, you do not want me to answer that prayer. And that is a prayer you should not be praying. If your prayers show that what is most important to you are the things of this world instead of the things of God, that is a wrong reason to pray. If the reason you're asking for this is because you want to be closer and more like the world and the people in the world and what they have or what's important to them or what they've told you through commercials or books or movies or, you know, jabbing uh, at the water fountain, whatever people do. Uh, If that's what has convinced you, you need this thing and not, I opened the book and read and the Lord God said, and I went, yes, Lord, please. If that's not the reason, then you don't need to be praying and you better pray that God's not answering. And the reason these are not answered in the end is because these are actually unholy prayers. These are unholy prayers. Look at verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says... He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So here we see, here we see the danger of these these unholy prayers and why they're so wrong. Even what we're asking God to do, they're unholy in their content and they're unholy in their execution. No, no this is okay. So this is one. This is a notoriously tricky verse. If you guys are going home and you're trying to work through this in the Greek and you're like, I'm getting in a lot of trouble with this. That's you're not. It's not unusual. Uh, I, I take it as a reference that God is jealous for the spirit, capital S, that he has given us, namely the, the Holy Spirit. Although it, it could also refer to God's jealous jealousy for the spirits that he has put in us or that new heart, that new spirit that he's given us, whatever it is. When you and I choose to pursue the things of the flesh... We are making ourselves enemies of God. Why? Because he is jealous for that spirit and we are willingly offering that spirit that he gave us. We are taking and offering that like a sacrifice to the world. So God gives us a spirit to cause us to walk in his ways, to cause us to be obedient, to keep his commandments, as Ezekiel says, right? That's why we have the spirit in us. And instead of listening to the spirit, We take that spirit to the altar of the world and we kill it. We offer these perverse, profaned prayers. And God will not lightly let his temple be profaned. And when we pursue, when we pursue the very things we were redeemed from, we profane the spirit. I mean, think about—that's why I said these are unholy prayers. Think about, think about the perverse nature of these ungodly prayers that we lift up for the wrong reasons. I mean, it is—think of what we're doing. When you pray, we're enter, entering the presence of God and talking to him about these things— It is because of the spirit that we have in us, whether you're talking capital S spirit or lowercase, both are true. It is because of the spirit of God that you and I can enter the presence of God. So we're allowed to even pray, to even ask, to even take these things to God because of the spirit we have in us. We have been made holy and yet we dare to bring unholy requests to the face of God. The only reason we would do that is if we have no idea what prayer is or we have moved so far away from God that we could walk to the face of God. We could enter his throne room and, and, and lay that, there are so many words I could use, lay that junk in front of God and say, can you give me that? We ask a holy God to give us unholy things. When we are asking for the wrong reasons, the the scariness of it is we, by the grace of God, can enter the presence of God with our prayers. Our voices go to him and we look at him and we say, God, give me this. And remember how Isaiah responded, just being in the presence of God. Woe is me, right? I am unclean, falling down, thinking he's going to die. And yet we can pray and ask for unholy things in our prayers. Because we're not asking for his good, we're asking for ours. Calvin said, when we do this, we seek to make God a minister of our lusts. And he is rightly, rightly upset at such a request. We are going to God with our passions, with our pleasures and saying, God, I would like you to serve me by giving these. Just like we saw last week that doubting does. When you do that, you are treating God like one of the pagan gods. You're not treating him like a holy God. You're not not treating him like, like like the, the the a God who is thrice holy, you're not doing that. You're treating him like the pagans do. Give me my requests here. I'll give you meat and 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 beer and whatever. I'll do whatever to you. Give me what I want. Calvin was quoting Pliny when he said, "Do men so wickedly abuse the ears of God?" I mean, think about it. Is is the purchased presence of God so demeaned in our hearts that we would defile it by asking for the very things that brought the death of his son is that what we would do would his son die to purchase our entrance to his presence and us go into that presence and ask for the very things that brought the death of his son that's what we're doing when we pray these unholy prayers that's what we're doing when we're asking for things for the wrong reasons the reality of of what these prayers are and god's hatred for them and his love for us and and his spirit should cause us to guard our hearts just as jealously as god guards the spirit that he has given us i mean okay so that that's the that's the bad news about the wrong prayers but but here's the good news in verse six that in spite of our licentious prayers god does not abandon us Unlike our jealousy that causes hatred, right, his jealousy inspires greater love. And, and instead, he gives us, what does it say? He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's, it's, it's foolish to seek worldly things in prayer because to do so is, is, is grievously sinful. That's right. But it's also because the things of this world are grievously wanting compared to what we can have in God. They are nothing compared to what God can supply us. So, so not only does God give us more grace, grace gives us more. Grace is always going to be greater, greater than you deserve, and also greater than any worldly thing you could want. So what do we need to do? We need to be killing these worldward prayers. Killing these world-driven, world-focused, world-centered, world-word prayers. And that's exactly what we find in verses 7 through 10. How did James call these people out of their pleasures and and into right godly prayer and living to the Lord and to one another? What does he say to do? Verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, be wretched and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. If, if The problem, if if the problem is you are being driven by pleasure, how does James lead you out of that? Well, here it is. Submission to God, resistance of the devil, drawing near to God, cleansing from sin, purifying of heart, a right view of sin and judgment that leads to repentance, humility, so, so if, you're, if you're looking at these things and you realize the reason your prayers are not being answered is because God cares about you too much and cares about his name and his spirit too much to answer them, that he is too gracious to give you even what you ask for, what should you do? If you've been praying for all the wrong reasons and for all the wrong things then do these things, submit yourself to God and his direction for your life. Submit yourself to God and his direction instead of your own. Resist the temptations that the devil brings to drive you to think that these worldward thoughts instead of Godward thoughts. Draw near to God. If you're being driven by, if you go, man, I am, I never pray, but when I see things that I want, all of a sudden, all I can think is, God, please give me those. God, please give me those. But I'm not, I'm not driven to want. Like when I read scripture, I'm not driven to plead with God to give me that because that would make me happy. Instead, I look at my neighbor and I see what he, he's got. And even, even though I don't voice it with my mouth, in my heart, I'm saying, man, I wish I had that. If those things are what, are, what is driving you, what do you need to do? Draw near to God. And the nearer you are to God, the less attractive the pleasures of this world are going to be. You need to clean your hands. That's the next thing he says, clean your hands. Look, Dirty living makes for dirty praying. It just happens. Purify your heart. Worldly words, even in prayer, spring from a worldly well. See your prayers for what they've been. And see the grievous nature of sin, the real threat of judgment, and let that be a caution to you. And then humble yourself. I mean, worldly, worldly prayers are seeking ultimately our exaltation, and they will lead to our downfall. But humble prayers always humble prayers allow God instead to exalt us. So look at your prayer life. Look at, look at your concerns. What are you, when you pray, what are you seeking? What are you praying for? And then get to the root. Why am I even praying for that? The next request you ask of God, ask, why do I want this thing? Is it because I've seen others with it? Is it a thing that I really want because I, I see others have it and I want it and I'm coveting? Or, or is it something that is, is a good godly thing to ask for? Is it Godward? If it's Godward, then by all means, ask it and ask it again and again and again. If, if your prayers have been for the wrong reasons, so if instead, of, instead of, of peace, your life is filled with fights and quarrels, Then change your life and it will change your prayers. Submit, resist, draw near, clean, purify. See your see 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 prayers for what they've been. See the grievous nature of sin. Humble yourself. But I think this passage, so so if, if your prayers have been for the wrong reasons, you just need to repent, then do that. But let's talk about for the future. I think another thing that this can be very helpful with is maybe not the prayers that you've had, but the prayers that you're going to have coming up. So you're going to take this and you're trying to remember, because what happens is we try to remember why we prayed for the things we prayed for before. And we're going, uh, did I pray for that for the wrong reason? It's not clear sometimes, but now going forward, you can use this. And I think this can actually be a pretty helpful prayer checklist. When you, you look at these things, so how can I know? Let's say I'm going to pray. How can I know that I'm asking for the right thing? Well, the simple thing is just to pray the Lord's Prayer and then be be happy. You can't go wrong with that. But you can also go through this checklist from verses 7 through 10. So what sort of questions can you ask leading into prayer? One, you can ask ask yourself, is this request coming out of submission to god and his revealed will for my life is that why i'm asking this am i asking this because i'm wanting to submit to god and not the god that i've made up but god as he has revealed himself in his word is this coming out of submission or not the second thing you can ask is is this request a resistance to temptation or a giving in to temptation When I'm I'm asking this prayer, is this prayer, am I wanting this because this is my desire, I'm trying to resist the devil, or is it the devil that has planted this desire, this seeking of pleasure in my heart? You can ask, will what you're asking for help you get closer to God or not? Will this draw you nearer to God if you get it? If the Lord answers this prayer, is this going to make your life more Godward? Let's say you do pray for more joy in your life. Is that going to bring you closer to the Lord? Well, yes. If you're praying for more patience, if you're praying for things that you've seen that God tells you are for your holification, then those will bring you nearer to God. But if, if they're not, is this going to get you closer to God? If you don't know how this is going to get you closer to God, then you better wait before you pray it. And if you can't think of how this is going to get you closer to God ever, then don't lift up that prayer till you're sure you know how it can. Ask yourself, am I asking this with clean hands? Do I have clean hands? On is, there, is there any shame in your asking? Are you, are you bringing this prayer, but you're trying to put your hands behind your back because you know the real reason you want this thing. You know the real desires of what you're going to do with it. Let's say you're praying for prosperity in your work. You're praying for God to bless you in your finances, and you know all the things you're supposed to pray that you can mumbo-jumbo. I'm going to tithe so much you ain't ever seen so much tithing. Uh, and you think God, you know, then the, or and so the whole time you're like, I really, you know, I got my fingers crossed behind my back, right? I used to do that and then you'd show the, the hands and you'd cross the toes, right? Or you'd cross the legs because we're all a bunch of big liars and our father's the devil. Uh, but that, is that what you're doing? Are you asking for these things? But your hands aren't clean. If you can't go to God and show everything and say, God, search me and try me and know that I am asking this not for my good and not for my name, but for yours. If you can't do that, if you can't show your hands, then something's going on. If you can't show God, if you can't say, Sir, if you can't show everything about you in your prayer, then, then there's something wrong in the asking. And that's why, so are you asking us to clean hands? Are you asking this from a pure heart? Are there motives behind what you're asking that you're hoping to keep hidden from God? Is your heart pure in the asking? Is your, is your prayer serious? And by that, I mean that, that, that what he talks about, is your mind clearly perceiving the grievous nature of sin and the reality of God's judgment so that this prayer is not a game? That, that This prayer is not just something that you're doing and that you realize the serious nature of walking into the presence of God and making a request of him. And knowing how how horrible it would be to walk into that presence with sin or seeking sin. And then the last question, is this a prayer lifted in humility or or in pride? Why are you praying? this? Is this because you're humble or is it because you're proud? Is this because you want God to be exalted or because you want to be exalted? You see, a worldly prayer, a worldward prayer, a, 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 an unholy prayer, a pleasure-driven prayer, a prayer that chooses the world over God cannot meet those criteria. And because God yearns for the Spirit in us, He will not leave us blind to these things. I and mean, that's, that's the thing we've got to get across, that if you if you really want to know if you're praying for the wrong reasons, God's not going to hide that from you. God is not going to like, oh, I'm not going to tell them if they're praying for the wrong reasons. God yearns jealously for you and for his spirit. He is not going to let you walk into his presence with sinful desires and not tell you about it till the day of judgment, which is what we sometimes fear. That maybe I'm praying for the wrong reasons and I don't even know it. That does not happen. Now, maybe you're praying for the wrong reasons and you want to pretend like you don't know it. But God, in his grace to you, is not going to let you blindly and willfully walk in to sin, into his presence. So when it comes to praying, I mean, when it comes to praying for the wrong things, there are all sorts of fears. So we become timid because we we know how fickle we are. And sometimes we assume, well, of course, of course, my prayers are always wrong. I'm always wrong. My prayers are going to be wrong. Or maybe we become so blinded to our own worldliness that we don't even think about what we're doing and we pray, obviously, for worldly things and like fools. Maybe we're just fools and we bring these unholy requests to God and, and, and we're, just, we're just being blinded to, to the worldliness of it. We don't want your prayer life to be either one of those things. And so here I think James gives us good protection and he gives us good guidance. You don't have to be afraid to pray. You don't have to have this constant fear that you're probably asking for the wrong things. Use these verses from James, not to give you more doubt, but to give you confidence. That if your prayers meet these criteria, then you can walk to the throne of God confidently through the blood of Christ and ask your father to do these things, confident about God and his desire to lead you, even to lead you toward god word prayers let's pray just as you as you take this moment to to pray ask god to search your heart ask god to show you the things that that we've seen i mean i think we can all take a moment and just just confess that there have been times that our prayers are driven more by our glory than his where we're worried more about what we think about ourselves or what others think about us than we are what people think about him or what we think about him or his name. Just take a moment and confess that we have been guilty of these things, that James is not writing about a problem that is for all these other churches, but never for us. And so let us take his words seriously. Let us see the, the great temptation for Christ's church to to be pleasure-driven in our praying, to choose the world over him, to pray unholy things in his presence and let us repent of those and let us thank God that he gives more grace and in our humility to know that that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so even as as we're being humbled, know that that being humbled is a grace of God. So more grace is going to follow with it. That how do you know God has not abandoned you for your horrible prayers? Because the conviction that you feel about them is a sign that He hasn't. It is a sign of His grace and His goodness. Let's thank God for this list of ways that we can be hedged before and behind, even in our prayers. How easy it would be to, to run through these things and to, to know that the requests that we have are, are God word or self word, and to know that even as we ask these questions, his spirit is going to be, the spirit that he yearns jealously for is going to be convicting us of these things. That's what the spirit does. And then let's pray confidently, not proudly, but Confidently. Confident in his direction for our prayers. Confident in knowing that if we pray the way he tells us to pray, there there has to be no timidity in our prayers. We can in confidence lift him up to a father who loves us and do it with clean hands, do it with a pure heart, do it out of submission to him, do it as we're resisting the devil, as we're drawing near to him, recognizing the grievous nature of sin and humbly coming before him and saying, Father, please. And knowing that when we do that, He says, yes. What a great God. What a great blessing prayer is. May we remember the reason that we're able to offer these prayers is that his son died for our sins. His son died to make us a holy People, would we dare to bring unholy things into his presence? Would we shame our father by asking him for the very things that his son died to to destroy? Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful, Father, that you guide us even in how to pray. I pray, Father, that we will, in submission to you, in a resistance of the devil, we'll draw closer to you and that our prayers will be prayed for the right reasons. If there's any wrong reasons in our prayers, Father, may your word drive them out. May your spirit reveal them to us. The the, the, the word kill them in us that our prayers might be holy and acceptable in your sight, Father. That we'd be praying for the things that are for your good and for our good and the good of our brothers and sisters. And we could pray confidently instead of shamefully. We could pray with our clean hands because we know we've got a pure heart all through the work of Jesus Christ. Help us to know the reasons for our prayers and help them to be holy, even as you make us holy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.